Welcome to the Wretched Hive Podcast. I got a bad feeling about this. Moss Eisley Spaceport. What are you talking about? You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. This is ridiculous. We must be cautious. Actually, we're just a bunch of guys talking about Star Wars and other stuff. I'm looking forward to having some real talk with some real folks. That's good news. I like the sound of that. Good morning and happy Saturday. It's another weekend with the Wretched Hive podcast and our continuing breakdown of every episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. My name is Steve Baldwin. Joining me this morning is Greg, Scott, and Nico. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Here we go, guys. We are Good morning. here again to break down The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. This week we have season one, excuse me, I need a <clears throat> little sip of coffee, podcast professional here. Early morning. You know, I will, while you're taking that gulp there, I will say it's funny how the two weeks you were gone in Hawaii, and, and, I, and I'm glad you're back, and I'm glad you had a good time, and, and, and happy belated, sir. Happy belated birthday Thank to you, you and Thank your lovely you. ride. Thank, um, you. Thank you. I will say how the, the first uh, two weeks of the show, there was a lot of social commentary. You were really into it. You know, you were excited about where it was going. The two weeks you were gone were pretty much just straight up like action movie, pretty, pretty standard <laughs> fare. And then the week you come back, it's back to social commentary again. So they knew you were gone and they knew you returned because this is what Steve's like and this is Steve's goddamn show. You think they're doing it for me? Just just for me? Marvel is looking out for the Wretched Hive? Oh, yeah. Personally. Oh, right. I, I'll buy that. Um, well, you are correct in terms of the social commentary part. And there's, uh, there's a lot of depth to this episode. And uh, we've got... Uh, 28 minutes to go. So (laughs) we have a lot to cover in a short amount of time. So let's get into it. Uh, we are season one, episode five now called the truth originally dropped April 16th, 2021 yesterday as we record the show. Um, a lot of action in the first, I don't know, maybe what do you think? 12, 13 minutes. And then this episode really delves into character. And this is one thing I love about the Marvel Universe, Greg, is these characters, there's so much depth for them to mine that, to me, this was the best episode of the season yet. Uh, it was strong. It was strong. I, I really enjoyed that. Like I really enjoyed both halves of the episode. It really was. You know, there was the 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 first of the knockdown drag out fights um, with uh, John Walker, and then uh, there there was a lot of, of building and 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 the transformation of Sam Wilson, if you will, um, that we'll see very shortly. Yeah, Scott, I'm I'm wondering what your take is on where this is headed with John Walker and and his transformation really fall from the Captain America role into this sort of like crazed egocentric beast that he becomes uh, and, you know, ends up fighting with Sam and Bucky in the first part of the episode. Yeah, this is, there's a lot to tackle on this one. So I'm going to try and break it down as fast as I can, but John Walker's character uh, is surprisingly uh, well-developed for me. Um, And and they're really pulling from the comics. I really like where they're taking it. He's not just a flat out villain. He's got a lot of uh, complexity and here's the great thing, and let's, let's tie it back real quick to something you said at the beginning of the intro. The episode title is called Truth, and that has so much meaning in this episode for all the characters. It's how, for me, 
the truth is what they're seeing, like their own version of the truth, that what it can vary from character to character or person to person based on their opinions and what they're experiencing. Also, that's a reference, and this is for Dave, because I know Dave wanted to throw a lot of comic references out for this one. That is the name of the series that we get introduced to Isaiah Bradley for the first time in, I think, the late 2000s, Greg, maybe? if Do you remember? You know, this was beyond the time when I was really reading, so I didn't even, okay. I'm not familiar with the Isaiah Bradley story at all. So okay. um, D- Dave was the one who had, who was our, our fountain of knowledge there, and unfortunately he is... Um, He's in my today. He's, he's in my uh, But yeah, that that back at, back to John Walker. Um, again, I think what we're seeing here is we see the the ramifications of the final moment of last episode. But again, he's not a full blown villain. He sees it the way he sees it. He was justified in what he did, even though we know it was wrong. And I just I like how that character gets developed through this whole episode. Actually, all the characters get some major development time in here, and I really appreciated that. I don't agree with his point of view, um, but I see why he's trying to justify what he is. And that's what makes him so much different than uh, the real Captain America. You know, I don't know that I see it so much as he's a uh, a, a character with convictions. Um, I don't know that I disagree with you, but I don't know I agree either. I mean, I really am getting the picture that he's uh, uh, he's he's a damaged soldier. You know, he's he's suffering from a lot of PTSD. He's gone through a, just another major trauma, losing you know his 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 I'm going to call it his best friend Lamar. Um, but there has been what Dave and I were kind of discussing is there's there's been a lot of things hinting you know through the sound design of the show hinting at at the at the the turmoil going on in John Walker's mind. Them using a lot of just you know noisy soundtrack in the background. Um, the fact that he's growing out this this kind of grizzled facial hair, you know, he's not exactly clean cut and clean shaven, kind of reflects what's going on, you know, in his in his head as well, where he's just he's not quite all there. Oh, I, I agree. Um, and by all means, I'm not defending the character of John Walker. Uh, again, I still see him as the villain, actually, the, the main villain. When I say that, what I'm saying is as the character himself. And you you have a great point, Greg, the PTSD part of it is so like in the forefront of this. And there's there's the moment at the trial when uh, he's being dis, well, he's not being dishonored. What do they call it? Other honorably discharged, mm-hmm. something like that. So Other, yeah, honorably discharged. Yeah, something like that. So I love the point that he makes in there. And this is actually, I think, a reflection of uh, something else. I, I can't remember the reference right now, but he when he is being discharged, he is literally telling them, I did everything you asked me to do. And that's what I love is the difference of character between him and Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers has that clear understanding of who he is as an individual versus who he is as a symbol for America or even as a soldier. And that's yeah. why I think there is a big difference between that character. And that's why I still classify him as a villain. But he does have that depth where he's not a two-dimensional, just you know, wicked, twirling mustache villain. Yeah, it, it was it was Steve Rogers's moral guidance that would not yeah. allow him to do whatever he was told to do. You know, right. he would do what was what was morally good, mm-hmm. um, not so the same just, John Walker. So just to backtrack on something you were leading to, we don't have Dave here, but I have a little research from uh, the New York Times uh, referencing the limited series, uh, the limit, co- the limited comic series, Truth, Red, White and Black by Robert Morales. 
Um, and I think your time frame is about right from the late nineties or early two thousands. Um, yeah. I, I want to bridge to this really quick, Nico, um, to get your take on, you know, following the, 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 the fighting, um, with John Walker and his apprehension, you know, we get a lot of, uh, discourse and time spent with Bucky and Sam and, you know, they kind of are referring to each other as, ah, we're just a couple of guys. I'd love to to hear what your take is on this, uh, on that sort of part of the show. What like the the conversation and the interactions between Bucky and Sam. What what did you walk away with um, after seeing this episode? Um, they're really cute together. Like, <laughs> no, um, it was uh, it was nice to see them because you know in in all the movies. Uh, before this show they've they've hung out but i feel like they haven't really gotten to know each other really um mm. together um they were you know friend they had a mutual friend right so they like ended up hanging out and spending some time together but they never like got to be friends with each other so it was nice to see them um you know find some common ground on their own without you know, Steve Rogers. Um, they're not just Captain America's friends. They could be friends with each other for who they are. Um, so that was really cool to see them. And then, like, the whole thing with them throwing the shield back and forth, bouncing it on the tree. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was um, it was cool. Um, and, yeah, don't don't flirt with Sam's sister. Carlos is going to chop you up for food. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say this, this series has kind of turned into the, uh, the the trials and travails of of Bucky's love life because he goes on a Tinder date earlier in the episode of season two. <laughs> Bucky finds love in the Marvel yeah, I, in the I, MCU, or or does he? Or does he? I, I, he go. already did. Is, See, I'm telling it? you, they're cute, right? Maybe he already found love and he doesn't know it yet. Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue the cute stuff here because Nico, what you're talking about, didn't it remind you or maybe even the, the idea of this, like two brothers or two friends just playing catch together? Like, hey, let's go play catch out in the field while you know yeah. the dreams of it is what it was. <laughs> Dad, <laughs> you mind if we have a catch? Oh, Dave, yeah, I, I, I was about to make the same reference. Hey, Dave's <laughs> able to join. Hi, good morning, Dave. Glad you could make it, buddy. Hey, hi, how are you? <laughs> and that's the end of the show. Thanks for joining well, us today. Thanks so for glad joining you could the Judge and Hive podcast. We'll, uh... All right. Um, sorry, sorry. I set my watch to Scott Evansky's standard time, so I apologize. <laughs> so and the hits just keep on coming. Nico, I, I just want to come back to the the sort of playing catch in the backyard with the shield. I and and Scott and Greg, you both, I think, referenced um, uh, one of the greatest movies of all time, Field of Dreams there at the end. Do you want to have a catch? Um, but I, I love that part. And I just love hearing these characters just sort of reestablishing themselves as as who they are. And they're trying to... It. What's great about this n- next generation of Marvel television is that there, there's uh, the movies don't get to get into it as much, but there's so much character development and they've got space to breathe. Like half of this episode was them def- sort of redefining their relationship together. And the whole bit about, hey, don't flirt with my sister. I, I just turned to to Lisa moments before they started that. And I'm like, I really like that actress. I 
her, I don't know her name, but she plays Sarah on the show. Um, Sam's sister. I really like her. And um, definitely they're, they're setting up some either, uh, either whether it's real connection that Bucky and Sarah have or not. Uh, they went out of their way to, to, to highlight that. So I, I love that part of it too. That was a lot most, of fun. Most awkward family get togethers from this point on. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> if they hook up <laughs> and, and Steve, you're talking about them reestablishing themselves. Mm-hmm. Something that I was thinking about after watching the, the episode was that these characters have actually never really been established together. Right. I mean, they came to, I mean, they met as enemies in the winter soldier. Then they kind of rescued Bucky in civil war and, the first time they ever actually kind of fought side by side as allies was in Infinity War and Endgame. So they're they're establishing themselves as friends, actually. They I, I like the bit later on where they're going through, you know, but we're not partners, we're coworkers. And then someone and then one of them says, We have a mutual friend. And that's where they kind of leave it. That's right. the reason they're together, is they have a mutual friend and they're they're getting to know each other through that mutual friend. And yeah, before, before the series, the, their their relationship was about their ties to Captain America, yes. pretty much, right? They're, and they're now, mutual friends, Steve Rogers. Yes, they are defining well, themselves differently. And isn't this great? Like the first thing we see in the series is them having basically therapy sessions. Bucky first, but there is the joint session, and this is actually like the better therapy moment in this series. It took five episodes, and we finally get them having this great moment where they're really figuring out who they are. Okay, we talked about or before before Dave was here. We we talked a little bit about Walker and you know the crazed madman that he has become in the first part of this episode. This uh, sort of like chemically induced crazy person. Um, and Who you screams, in, "I am fucking Captain America." I just want to point that out, <laughs> right? And you know the the PTSD element of that as well. The moment that I was like, holy cow, was was the ripping the Falcon's wings off. Yeah. And I just I wanted to hear what you, your take on that on that. And then the rest of that fight that they have at the beginning of the show. And and Greg, what w- did you have a reaction when when that occurred? Was it like visceral like mine or what did you think? Well, it, it's 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 visceral, it's brutal, and you know, it's it's kind of just emac- emasculating in 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 some ways as well. You know, it's not he's not just defeating him; he's tearing apart everything. You know, he's tearing apart his very being and who he is. Um, it, it's 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 a brutal move. I mean, it's it it. I don't I don't know how to put it any any more than that. It's you know, it's really just trying to take everything that's the essence of a, of the Falcon and rip it away from him. You know, like he hasn't already taken the shield and, and the Captain America identity. He's now he's taking this as well. Is it, you know, Greg, that's, that's great. I love that. Um, but what I thought also was it's such a symbolic moment of, yeah, like you just said, taking the shield, um, like him transferring or, or transforming into Captain America, even mm-hmm. though it's, you know, for us, we might know that that's what's coming, but it, anyone who doesn't understand that he becomes Captain America in the comics later on, uh, what a great way to kind of like symbolically show it, like stripping the, the wings off of him in this fight. Also, I, I got to throw a couple, Dave, I, I got a million things to say about this. So uh, all the subtle references to the previous Captain America films, the whole fight sequence with John Walker were two unbelievable homages to the fight sequences we've seen with Bucky before. So one is the uh, Winter Soldier fight where we see him and Captain. It's almost like shot for shot. 
between him and Captain America, which leads into the second homage, which is the fight between Iron Man, Captain America, and Bucky at the end of Civil War. And I just loved how that transitioned. And what made it even better for me is that I pulled up the guy's name. I'm going to totally forget on this. Henry Jackman is the composer for this series. I think you guys have brought this up before. He composed those two films as well. And they've used both of those themes throughout this as a running like homage to the history of Bucky's character. That whole sequence are two great pieces from those films, like overlaid on top of this moment. It's just, it's so wonderfully done. So at the end of that fight, uh, there, there's a lot that we're skimming over here, but, but we end up in sort of like a court martial situation and uh we referenced it earlier that you know he gets other than an honorable discharge so it's not a totally a dishonorable discharge right um what uh, one, one would one would infer that from the language yes yes but but still walker's you know arguments in his defense are not no no one's really buying it he gets he gets kicked out without any benefits he's he is no longer uh, part of the U.S. government. But he's also not in prison. I mean, he killed a guy in broad daylight yep. with, you know, 17 cameras trained on him. Yeah, I mean, talk about, talk about a white privilege police officer moment. And yeah. I, to, just to even jump back to the fight, that moment where he was kneeling on Sam and was about to, to kill him. I yeah. don't think it was planned that way, but with the Chauvin trial that's going on right now, that got a very visceral, like, catch in the throat moment for me about what that really represented in America right in this moment, a white symbol of authority of the government kneeling on and holding down an African-American man about to kill him. I don't think it was intentional. I don't think that's what they were going for. But at the moment that it's airing, you, you can't help but think about it, or at least I couldn't help but think about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the fact was... that, he, yeah, that he skates really. Oh, you get a dis, you know, a, an other than honorable discharge. No, dude, dishonorable. Throw him out with a punishment. Yeah. Instead of just saying, you know what, didn't work out. We're parting ways. <laughs> yeah, I I will double down on that, and I actually think it was intentional, and I, I uh, certainly letting him off without a dishonorable discharge was intentional. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of commentary, social commentary happening here. Um, and the fact that he maybe has an opportunity at remaining and to continuing to be an operative of some kind with this character named Val that we will <laughs> dis- discuss. Uh, Scott, did you have another comment? No, I, I agree oh. with you guys. I think it's fantastic that they the, the, actually the only thing I see about that is I'm more shocked that Disney has taken it this far. We, we've said it before, but one, the fact that they're using the truth series series um, to kind of like show us all the, the, the sordid past of Marvel and and the, and how they've handled the whole super soldier uh, program. But on top of that, yeah, this commentary and Disney not backing away from it. I'm, I'm actually impressed with Disney showing this much. Wait, but did you get that on tape, Steve Baldwin? Scott Evansky is impressed <laughs> with something Disney is doing. <laughs> uh, but here, here's a subtle thing that I just noticed, and I know it wasn't the first time it's happened in the show, but mm. the kids all call Sam uncle sam yeah uh, yeah i just noticed that tonight and i'm like oh god that's so perfect with all the the conversation that goes on about no no black man would accept being captain america 
and his family calls him Uncle Sam. I also think that was intentional. I guarantee that was intentional, and I'm mad I didn't notice it earlier. (laughs) It was in the middle of his training, right? And his his, uh, nephews are chasing him around. Um, Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's move on to this this character, um, the Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. You wrote so, that yeah, down, didn't you? The, the <laughs> casting, the casting was straight out of left field for me. Did anybody oh. know that Julie Louis Dreyfus was going to be in this series? Nope. No idea. No, and since apparently she's going to be in the Black Widow movie, so like behind the scenes drama, Black Widow was supposed to come out before Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So they've they've kept this secret and under wraps for a really really long time. And I am uh, I am impressed by that. I'm sure even Scott Avansky is impressed by that too. I am. I can't believe they did this. But to be honest, <clears throat> excuse me, wow. To be honest, I was really expecting a Seinfeldism coming out of her somewhere. <laughs> I was waiting for one thing, you know, maybe a little dance or something. She she did have a little bit of the personality. There is a little bit of that Veep, you know, yeah. uh, Seinfeld <laughs> kind of attitude coming out of her. It's not completely washed out of her system. So. <laughs> yeah. No, Dave, well, you're, you're right on that. I, I knew that the Black Widow film was supposed to come out, and there were they were talking about things that would lead into – uh, the shows. So I, it's kind of shocking. It really is that they kept this a secret for so long. Well, she sits down and, and, you know, makes John Walker's wife or wife or girlfriend. They said they, they, they made it sound like wife. Cause she talks okay. about, this is your, your second best, you know, after marrying this little, little thing to my right that's, here. Oh, that's right. That's right. She kind of like moves her over, like move over, you know, I'm going to sit next it's to a firecracker. Yeah. So, are, are we going to yeah. talk about who she is, or are we just going to leave this a, a mystery? No, no, Madam, Madam Hydra, Scott? <laughs> yes. But but I I love that um, she hands the wife the card that's a blank business card. <laughs> nothing in it. Like, what a power move that is. That's yeah. awesome. So, yeah. uh, and then she says, you can call me Val, but don't say it out loud. Just just keep it in your head. So, so who is this Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine? Who is this character? I know it's a deep cut. Dave and Greg. Scott, Nico, how, how, how far like, back like, are we like, going to go like, with this? Like, like the female <clears throat> Nick Fury, only not a good person. Yeah, yeah that, on, that the, on the Hydra side, she's 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 Madam. So she's on the Hydra side, right? Yeah, at, at um, one point in her she's, career, she's on know, the Hydra side. But I think she's been like undercover with Shield at one point. She's yep. she's flip flopped. Well, a she lot was whoever, she was introduced. Her. She's introduced in the very first Nick Fury. Uh, series right back in the 60s was it dave i I think so if it's the character i'm thinking of i think so i think she started off as a shield sidekick under nick fury and she's his girlfriend man (laughs) yeah evolved into the i mean it was the 60s yes it was his girlfriend who also happened to kick ass and be a spy let's be let's be real for a second but they evolved her over time into this more complicated you know chaotic neutral if you will to use the the gaming terminology character who flip-flops to whichever is convenient for her or whoever's paying her the most money. Yeah. By the way, she, has only... been, she has been Madam Hydra. Greg and I have both dropped that reference, like the leader of Hydra at one point. Uh, I think she actually goes on to lead the Thunderbolts at one point in the comics, which is another thing that we'll have to talk about because we've been going on and on about how they're setting up the Young Avengers, and clearly it looks like they're also setting up a Thunderbolts show at some point as they're slowly mm-hmm. seeding the characters throughout all this. All right, I have one of my, you know, classic I don't understand Marvel questions here. It's one of the <laughs> sure I understand. All right. All right. Everybody, so, we should get some theme music for this. 
We should. <laughs> okay, done. That'll be done. Um, okay, so you you said that she, at one point she was the the lead of Hyd- for Hydra. I can't even believe I have to ask this question. Is Hydra a U.S. government sanctioned organization the same way that sort of sh- that Shield is? A U.S. Yes, no. because she's she's clearly she's taking part in this, you know, um, in this. Uh, punishment of John Walker. So she's in the room. She has access to U.S. government meetings. Well, Hydra, Hydra infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. in that whole section of the movies and the TV shows. So they're all over the place. Um, they're not sanctioned by the U.S. They're they're like kind of like an offshoot of of Nazi Germany, basically, right? Okay. Yeah, you know, they, they set up Hydra... In, in in the MCU, let's just talk in the MCU. They set up Hydra as uh, kind of German, you know, because that's what the Red Skull is part of, as part of Hydra, but or is one of the Nazis, but he breaks off and forms Hydra. So they set them up as German. You know, they've been portrayed as communists. They've been portrayed as Russians, you know, in the past. And I think we're going to see a little bit more of that. It sounds like now, from what Dave's telling me, in the Black Widow movie that we're seeing. So they'll they'll you know communist KGB, whatever you want to call them. <clears throat> But they are Eastern European, okay. you know, fascist organization as opposed yeah. to the good American capitalist, you know, go America. Right. <laughs> Greg, Greg, would it be fair to say that they're kind of like a, a specter to James Bond 007? There you go. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. Exactly. All right. That's, that's putting it exactly in terms that Steve <clears throat> understands, actually. That's what I'm, that's what I'm going for here. <laughs> can, can I just... Can I just ask of the show uh, if they do continue? I mean, this character is obviously going to be big. Can we at least see her in her swinging '60s go-go dancer outfit when she was still swinging with Nick Fury? Because that is an outfit right there. <laughs> well, you uh, have to you have to end that sentence with a full-on Austin Powers "Oh, behave, Scott." I'm not uh, going to let that go. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do that. <laughs> Given that Hydra is sort of akin to Spectre, does anyone in Hydra have a secret underground lair? <laughs> Actually, Hydra, Hydra has many secret lairs yep. all around okay. the world. All right. I've got it now. I got I, it. I, I will play the odds and say at least one of them is <laughs> underground somewhere. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. So I love, love, love the character development in this episode. And we get more time with Isaiah Bradley, um, played by Carl Lumbly. Um, the conversation with him and Sam is just riveting. And um, I, I want to stay here f- for a few minutes and, and get a little more deep, uh, deep, deeply into the conversation. So Brett, so Sam brings him the shield and he's like, he's ready to give it to him. Like here, you know, this is this, you, you should have owned this. And he declines it. Um, he declines the shield. He tells his, his tale about how the government, Injected abused him, him and abused, abused him, him, put him in jail so that he couldn't tell his story. Um, we've we've made reference to uh, the Tuskegee Airmen in the past, and he actually mentioned the Red Tail, um, the pilots, which is is I I loved how the the blending of fact and fiction is woven in here so expertly to tell Isaiah's story. Um, so just wanted to see what your guys take on this. Are are you are you um Feeling Isaiah, what what's your? Do you want to see more of Isaiah? What what do you make of Isaiah Bradley's character? 
from this episode? Well, uh, I'll I'll just say this. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm fine with seeing more of him, who he is now, but I would love to see some flashbacks. That would be a, a really interesting take on some of the history. I still, I think, Dave, were you the one that mentioned this? Seeing the actual moment when Bucky and him meet up and having Bucky just have the, like, the floor wiped with, with Bucky, basically. I would love to see that, but uh, I, 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 I think know. you might have been the one to mention that, Scott. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. I just I, it would be fun to see some of that and bring some of that history. I mean, if Disney's willing to do all this stuff on social commentary with nowadays events that are kind of happening now, it'd be fun to see them tackle the subject since they're already there. So, well, and at the end of their conversation, you know, Sam insists that that he knows people and that the country has changed since, since the fifties. And Isaiah says they will never let a black man be captain America. And then more to the point, no self-respecting black man should want to be captain America. Yeah. And that's uh, almost a direct quote out of the series out of uh, captain America. Right, Dave, is that it? I, I honestly don't remember, but I will point out that this episode titled Truth, that was the title of the series that introduces that character. Yeah. It was Truth, uh, Red, 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 Blue, Red, Blue, and Black or, or something like that. I just want to say I got that right earlier before you joined. We threw it out there and I got something right. <laughs> Good job, Steve. Thank Good you. Good job. Um, so I'm, I'm actually at the same while watching the show, I'm reading Barack Obama's latest book. Um, and I couldn't help, but to contrast the comments about no self-respecting black man should want the job, nor will, you know, America ever give a black man the job and Obama's experiences while he was running for president and in, in the office, um, uh, great book, A Promised A Promise Land, is the title of his, of his latest. But um, it, it's I, I thought it was such a moving moment, and I I love Disney for for going after it and 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 putting and you know putting this work out there for everyone to see in just pl- plain language and just putting it out there like that. I think it's great. Oh, it, it it this has been a really moving, I think, exploration of the role race plays in our, our thought processes and our, our subconscious. And I, I, I think I mentioned on the podcast that the truth series has kind of gone out of print and it, it wasn't that well received at the time, which was always kind of weird. And I can't help but wonder looking back on it when president Obama was elected, I think a lot of us felt like, Oh, it's the, it's the end of something, you know, it's the, the end of a journey, a resolution of a lot of the racist past that our country has. And we've spent the last decade or so being very strongly disabused of that. It's really just kind of ripped the bandaid off and exposed just how much there still is and how I know for myself, I was probably blind to a lot of it because I was proceeding from an assumption that we've, we've been progressing, we've done all these things and we really, we really still have so far to go. And I can't help but wonder if that series being published when it was, if Marvel felt like, oh, it's it's just safe to kind of throw this out here now because we're all in this space where we're past it. And the reality is we're not past it. And I felt like the dialogue that we're seeing here kind of acknowledges that a, a little more deftly and a little more subtly. It just it feels like it's a more accurate weaving of the fabric of where society is for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Without, without trying to sound all woke white guy, you know, we all 
there was that feeling like, hey, we solved racism, guys. Congratulations, us, and all this, you know, patting on the back that was going on. But it's, you know, I, I, I think that, yeah, we're really just noticing the, you know, we're just beginning. We're not, I don't want to say we're in full on noticing. We're just beginning to notice the racism that still exists, you know? Massively. You're, you're correct. Yeah. And I'll never forget how great it felt and how great his acceptance, uh, President Obama's acceptance speech the night that he won the election. It was like, it was such a high. And contrast that with just a week ago, we had the Ku Klux Klan marching in Huntington Beach. Yeah. Yep. White, and a white a white lives matter protest. Talk about a contrast. I mean, uh, it's just a. It, I don't know. I, it's just gross. It's gross. <laughs> we, we, well, we had about we that. Had the shoot, but, yes. We had the we had the shooting in Chicago where the police yeah. shot in the back multiple times an unarmed thirteen year old African American boy who was running from the cops. Yeah. And then they lied about. The fact that he was unarmed, it took the body cam video being released to be able to see like, no, this person clearly did not have a weapon and they still shot him in the back. There's. Yeah, so much that uh, is unfortunately still common. That goes on and it. it, WandaVision was this incredibly well-timed resonant piece because it's talking about dealing with trauma and loss and we are all dealing with trauma and loss right now coming out of the pandemic. And this is one that's also, I think incredibly well-timed it's dealing with race at a moment where race is front and center in terms of how big a problem it still is in the country it it's it's an accident of timing but it just feels so incredibly resonant and timed as a result oh i i agree dave and you know what's funny is this has actually been i mean it's been going on for decades but certainly the trauma part related to the idea of being in this pandemic and and dealing with it and coping with it but yeah the racism that just came like since george floyd back in what was that may or june of last year and everything from there till now has just been like at you know sorry to quote spinal tap but at 11 it really has been and it is it's it's relevant to this moment so we deal with the trauma and coping and 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 grief and how to get over it and and disney goes right into this series there again i Twice in one episode, I cannot stress enough that Disney is doing something unbelievably right with this great entertainment, but also really tackling subject matter that I didn't think that they would even have the balls to do. So kudos to those guys. Um, Real quick, Dave, on that that issue is like Captain America that I want to kind of tie it back into the show Um, when they're trying to choose the next Captain America. I think it becomes Johnny Walker at that point. But they actually have a discussion where they, they pull that quote and just change it slightly to give it to John Walker or, um, um, oh, my goodness, uh, to Isaiah Bradley um, right from the comics. It's uh, I don't remember the issue number, but it's actually a senator who says it, that America is not ready for a black Captain America. That is almost like a direct line right from the comic books. And that was just in, what, 85, 86 when that series was out. So. It's not that long ago, and that's that's unbelievable to me. All right, so Sam eventually takes the shield. He starts using it in training, and by the end of the episode, we're not exactly sure what the fate of the shield is. Uh, 
the big cliffhanger at the end. We see a lot of action happening in happening in New York City. Um, they the our our um, antagonists, the flag smashers, have hired this new guy, Bat Batrick or Batrick. Batrick. He's the guy who was in Episode One. Yeah. Oh, and Civil oh, War. Okay, gotcha. And Civil, and Civil War. War. At the he very beginning, familiar, but I couldn't place it. Yeah. 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 And, and we're overlooking a very important thing there, Steve. If I'm, I'm going to double back, but Sharon Carter has a phone conversation. Uh, yeah. So if you are like me and watch with subtitles, you get a lot more information out of that scene because she's talking to Mr. Leaper yes. on the phone, and that's revealed she, only if you watch the sub, only if you have the subtitles on. Yeah. yeah. She's she's and, the one who busted him out of jail. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. And if, yeah, Couple that ahead. with the fact that she's talking on an Android phone, and we all know that Apple contractually prohibits <laughs> villains from using iPhones in films. And I'm I'm pretty confident in saying that uh, Sharon Carter has broke bad and is the power broker. Yeah, yeah. I'm well, I'm with you on this. We Dave, you and I had 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 talks that was the obvious setup that they were um, that they were going to make Sharon Carter the power broker and, and guys, you know, the, the first time joining the, the Saturday show in a couple of weeks, Dave and I have been saying, is this, you know, a red herring? Are they just putting too much information saying that Sharon Carter is going to be the power broker? Um, and I still kind of question, even though it's, she's obviously is yes, the power broker, I still kind of question it because they've introduced uh, Julie Louis Dreyfus's character now as well. So I still have to question whether she's the power broker, even though she most obviously is the power broker. Yeah. All right, to, to an ignorant fool like me, it, it would not be obvious if I wasn't listening to you guys blather on about it every weekend. So <laughs> I, 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 I think they're doing a pretty, pretty good job of masking that um, for us, you know, mortals. Steve, on behalf of <laughs> the other four co-hosts, I will just say that we're, we're happy and gratified that we help make you smarter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah much 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 appreciated um all right so we have the cliffhanger at the end of the show i'm like isn't he gonna open up the box what's in the box a new captain america costume for him that's right that's we, we skipped over the the important kind of tie up woke moment at the end when they were having kind of their their buddy buddy conversation at one point and bucky won he tied the writers take this moment to tie up something that was always a loose end from Endgame. Did Bucky know what Steve Rogers' plan was when he was going back in time? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he did. We now know yeah. that. And yeah. he says to Sam, we didn't really appreciate or understand what it meant to ask a black man to be Captain America. And I'm sorry about that. And Sam accepts the apology. And that it, maybe that is a little bit of a woke moment. You don't white America talking to African America, America, but it, it felt really true and pure. And it was that that weaving of the thread that I was talking about earlier. I feel like Marvel just threw the original Truth miniseries out there and thought it's going to be good. It'll make sense. And it didn't quite resonate or hit with everybody the way they thought it would because the time wasn't quite right for it. Not everybody was was conscious of what that story really meant. And now they're now they're doing it with a little more a little more ability to weave it all together. And that moment really kind of tied it up for me. And I, I just, I loved it. I thought that was a great, true, final passing of the shield moment. Yeah, you we, know, we now understand what we're doing by asking you to do this. And he's saying, okay, all right, now I am taking it because you do understand. Well, damn it all. Dave had to get all serious because I was going to say this storyline with the what's in the box, it's going to be Marcellus Wallace's soul, people. It's <laughs> 
<laughs> Steve Rogers. Sorry, I'm sorry I took your thunder there, Scott. <laughs> or, no, or it could be Gwyneth Paltrow's head. Or, or <laughs> yeah. it's both. <laughs> well, I, before, before we move on, though, I, I, I'm going to build Greg a trophy but, case that has Marcellus Wallace's soul and Gwyneth Paltrow's head so that he can put that in his house. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, I, I think you're spot on with that analysis, and I, I love how you broke it down. And and when when he apologized, when Bucky apologized to Sam, I had the same reaction. I and I I have I have been in moments in conversations with colleagues at work and talking about um, these sort of race relations uh, and and issues around um, equity and um, black racism and have have wanted to say what Sam, what, what Bucky said, but it, it's, there's always that, it, wh- how will that be taken and how can we, is it going, am I going to come across as someone who's trying to be more woke or the, you know, representing something that I'm really not? Um, and I, I'm, I've never, ac- I'm never, I'm always awkward around that moment, kind of like I am right now trying to talk about it, but um <laughs> I think you're right. I think that was a great moment. And, um, I, I had the same thought when he, when he said, I'm sorry, we didn't realize what it meant. And I, I felt it too. And I just wanted to acknowledge that. I think your analysis is spot on there. Also, did anybody else start keeping a running counter of how many times in the episode you thought to yourself, God damn, Sebastian Stan looks like Luke Skywalker. Cause I hit like five times. <laughs> Since it's yeah. been out in the media more, you know, every time it's on camera, I see, uh, I see young Mark Hamill now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did did you stay for the mid credit sequence? Uh, we're not there yet. Okay. Oh yes, but 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 yes. you have seen it. You didn't yes. just assume there was no end credit sequence and stop watching. Yeah. Yes, you did not pull a Nico. I saw this one. Fuck you. Okay. I listened and watched to all the credits now. Nico like on record that that fuck Nico, you was that, not geared towards that's not, me. That's but, just so you know, no, Nico, it, that moment of being able to break to you that there was an end credit scene in Mandalorian that you missed and then watch it with you live, that was really <laughs> one of the high points of 2020 for me. Just the, the sheer yeah. joy and, and honest emotional reaction that you had to it. Yeah. I Man, think Nico's great. quote was, oh! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so we get John Walker, just bitter, angry, aggressive John Walker making his own shield. What, Showing what, off his terrible <laughs> That well, shield is probably going to be about as good as a shield that any of the five of us could make. So I'm just going to throw out there that it's not going to serve a lot of actual form or function. I mean, I don't know how good your TIG welding skills are, but his looked pretty awful. I don't know who sits in the same spot and does little donuts when you're welding, but that was really, really hard for me to watch. And I'm not even like a fabricator. Well, I'm also going to throw out that he probably just didn't go down to the 7-Eleven and buy a supply of vibranium. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That was our take. Like, how is whatever he's making that out of, it's not going to stand up at all. It's I'm pretty sure much in 2023 trash vibraniums available at every 7-Eleven future boy, but it's not in 1955. <laughs> but you know what? He's got that Medal of Honor on there, so it's that's counts for something, right? Well, it, it looked like he was fastening it on the inside of the shield, which I think is like an old school, like what the knights would do in, in medieval times. They would put little talismans and tokens on the inside to remind them and, and supposedly give them strength and courage and power. Which I thought was interesting also because earlier in the episode, he was talking to um, 
What's his partner's name? Star Lord. <laughs> Battle Star. Battle Star. And it's Mister Star Lord to you, buddy. Thank you. Um, and he says, you know, some of the stuff that we had to do in Afghanistan to earn these medals, you know, wasn't totally, you know, the right thing to do. And yet he's still holding on to that that medal and making it part of his shield. So. And we didn't even talk about him talking to his partner's parents and how he lied to the parents. Just got to call out really quick. The funniest line in the show for me was when, you know, they're fi- they're fixing something on the boat and Bucky uses a wrench and Sam says, why don't you just use your arm? And he says, I, I, I'm right-handed. I don't always think about using it. That's so solid. Great. Yeah, so good. What Was anybody else getting the uh, image of them opening up a Bubba Gum Shrimp Company together later <laughs> on in the series? <laughs> Please hey. splice. Somebody splice the picture of Bucky running like Forrest Gump from like episode two. <laughs> Just like that. That'd be great. We're down to the end of the Falcon Winter Soldier next Saturday. Check out a review of the ultimate episode of the show. Until then, have a great week and may the force be with us all. You almost had it. It was so close. I know, a little bit off. Damn it. I felt you try to and stretch it. You've been in Hawaii. You've been in Hawaii for two weeks, so you know and, you're, just, you're out of practice. I, I'll let it go this time. And we didn't even suck at Steve Ball, and I can do this too. Sorry, Dave. We didn't. We didn't talk about how Sam gave the Falcon equipment to Joaquin. Oh, oh I know. Yeah. Oh, not cover that. Yeah. So he'll he'll be the new Falcon. Sam's gonna be the new Captain America. <sighs> and Bucky will be the same old Winter Soldier. See, my thing, my whole thing. I have two things really. Um, the whole thing with the wings is like those are. I don't want to say standard issue equipment, but that's a normal piece of equipment that's used in the military that he was issued yeah. as a pilot. So it's not like they're irreplaceable. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah. they also, was, they established I, Joaquin it, it, has the ability to build these types of things. Cause he messed with red wing. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. I, I think they also kind of hinted at in, in the winter soldier movie, Captain America winter soldier that, Sam at one point had a partner as well. Um, yes. who also, so, so, yes, yeah, so there is like a squad of these guys. <coughs> a yeah. Falcon, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that out yeah. comics? Is there a squad like in the comics, like guys that all have the wings? No. I don't think so. No, but also in the comics, they actually are real wings, like feathers and. Yeah, they uh, look like a bird's wings. That's, that's yeah. actually true. So he's yeah. more like a mutant. That's that's Angel. He's in the X Men. Yeah, Angel's yeah. more the mutant with real, <laughs> like wings that have grown out of him. Yeah. Oh so wait, Falcon Falcon's wings in the comics are like an accessory. They look like they, they look like real I wings. Think... I don't think they're actually part of him. I don't think he's grown wings, but they look like their appearance is real wings. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they, I think it's um, mechanical things with feathers and stuff put on it to act like a real bird. But yeah, and but his bird, his little buddy Redbird, is actually a real bird. Yeah, that's true. And he has a, he actually has a psychic link to him, right? Something the, like. It's it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> so that's thing one is that those wings aren't a unique thing. And then thing two is, why did they have to put 
Steve Rogers in an easy bake oven to make him a super soldier, and everybody else just gets <laughs> tricked with a needle and they get to run around with superpowers. They, they explained that when they talked to that doctor in the lab in the con- shipping container. He yeah. explained uh, he perfected the serum and you didn't have to go through that whole rigmarole anymore. So, right. yeah, well, so they what, explained that. What, okay, no, that's for the flag smashers, but going back to Isaiah. Yeah, right? we don't. He's talking well, they said about they said there they were just lots gave people. everybody tetanus shots, and then he ended up with superpowers. So, but, but he was also part being experimented on, and he had a whole squad of guys that were also being experimented on that were dying off yeah. at the time as yeah. well. He he was the only one that was like the successful, um, yeah. successfully took on the the super serum. Yeah, the and easiest. then they, they locked him up and and experimented on him for the in the intervening years to figure out why it worked on him. Yeah, the, the easiest way to explain it is after the is Steve Rogers is like the first time it happened. So they have that whole 19 whatever 30s, 40s, you know, evil scientist mad <clears throat> scientist lab look. And then from there, it just changes because you have Bruce Banner. He goes through a different type of experiment phase. You have all these other people trying different things. So it just evolves through the decades. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, yeah. it's interesting seeing that if, if Julie Louis Dreyfus is going to be in um, <laughs> the Black Widow movie, then I guess it's in, in theory we could see uh, Winter Soldier in that movie as well. Yeah. Did you get the, did you get the picture? Am I sharing it? <laughs> oh, hello. Oh hello. hello! That's that. That's her go-go outfit when she was boning Nick Fury. <laughs> okay, I like that they did. I I, Scott, I know Scott, the six, she had the, the little... sixties called. It's time for you to hibernate. <laughs> um, she did have that little blue streak of hair. Yeah, I know. The you minute know, it showed up, I'm like, back. holy shit. I just also have to say really quick to wrap this up. Um, this is the second episode in the in a row now that the word bone has been used. <laughs> We're bringing it back, Steve. We're bringing it back. 